I was reading about a series of tests this week where those who were giving the test were trying to evaluate how well a person can make decisions in a point of crisis, when there's this sense of urgency. A lot of the tests are really quite simplistic, not overly complicated. For example, one test I was reading about involved bringing someone into a bathroom where a bathtub was quickly filling up with water and the faucet was turned on in the bathtub. And they were given three things. They were given a teaspoon, a tablespoon, and a cup. Those were the three options that they had. And they were told that their job was to empty that tub of water as quickly as possible. Now, if you were in this scenario, which would you choose? The, the, the teaspoon, the tablespoon, or the cup? Well, it seems obvious enough. I mean, given the options available, most people would grab the cup and just frantically start bailing water out of the tub. But there's a small percentage of people who, when presented with this situation, step back for a moment and think. And then they turn the water off and they unplug the drain. And then they grab a cup and they start bailing water. I think for many of us, when our lives reach a point of crisis, when we feel that the water level is rising and we know that something has to be done, we tend to, what we tend to do is just grab what seems to be the best of option available. And so we grab the cup and we just start frantically bailing water because we know that something needs to be done and, and we want to do something. But is it the best thing? And so a husband finds out his wife is leaving him because he can't control his temper. What does he do? Well, he enrolls in an anger management class and he starts to take yoga. He's got to do something and so that's what he does. A couple finds out that they're having a really hard time making the minimum due, on, minimum due payments on their credit cards. Things are falling apart quickly financially. And so what do they do? They've got to do something, and so they go out and they buy a self-help book on money management, and they decide they're going to have a garage sale. A man starts to have chest pains. His eating and his stress levels have caught up to him, and he knows he needs to do something, and so what does he do? Well, he goes on another diet, and he gets a membership to the local gym. Now, none of those things in those scenarios, none of those things are bad. In fact, they're good and there is a place for them. The challenge is when we focus on behavior and behavior modification, it's just like grabbing that cup and starting trying to dump the water out of the tub. It might do some good in the short term, but rarely does it bring about lasting change. Instead, what we need to do is we need to turn off the water and unplug the drain. That's what Solomon is going to talk to us about in Proverbs chapter 4. Now, before we kind of jump into this, uh, what I would like for you to do is to think about an area in your life. Think about an area in your life right now that needs some attention. What is something in your life right now that needs to be changed? Is there an area where the water is rising and you, and you know that you need to do something? And, and you know, maybe it's an eating problem or an anger problem. Maybe it's a pornography problem or it's a gossip problem or it's a spending problem. Can you think of this? I mean, think of something in your life that needs some attention. Now, most of us, when we address that, when we think about that, okay, well, what do I do about it? 
we want to make this list of behaviors that needs to be changed. And so our focus is on behavior modification. Here's how we can define behavior modification. It targets observable and measurable actions that bring about change. We tend to think in those terms. What do I need to do? What can I change right now, today, that will bring about lasting change in my life? And so we focus on behavior modification. I mean, that seems too obvious, right? It's the cup, the teaspoon, and the tablespoon. Of course, I've got to change my behavior. However, what we're going to see today as we study Proverbs chapter 4 is that behavior modification is not the key to effective application. We think the best way to apply these Proverbs, many of which are behavior-based, we think the best way to apply them is just by doing, different, or doing things differently. But Solomon is going to point us back to the source. He is going to say, here is what the real problem is. And so in Proverbs chapter 4, take a look at verse 23. We're going to focus on a number of different words and phrases in this one verse today. But here's what verse 23 says. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The 2011 edition of the New International Version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything flows from it. And Solomon is saying, look, there is this tendency to put your attention on your behavior, to just want to change the way you act, but all of those actions are coming out of your heart. You might think you've got an anger problem. You've got a heart problem. You might think you have a spending problem. You've got a heart problem. You might think you have an eating problem or a pornography problem or a gossip problem. You've got a heart problem. And you can change your behaviors and it might bring about some temporary change. It might last for a week or two weeks or maybe even a month. And many of you have kind of been on this cycle, right? For years, you have tried to change your behavior and it hasn't worked. And you find yourself in the same situation and you're exhausted because you've been trying to bail out the water. The problem is that the faucet is still running. And just as quickly as you're bailing it out, it's filling it back up again. And so Solomon says it's about the heart. Now, in the Hebrew culture, this was probably more easily understood because they saw people not as just being a, uh, they saw people not as just being a, uh, being mind and body, which we tend to do in our Western culture. It tends to be just physical and cognitive. That's how we define a person in our culture. They saw the heart as the core of the person. Now, even today, when we talk about ourselves, how do we do it? We don't point to our heads. We point right here, right here. We speak of ourselves by pointing to our hearts. The Hebrew word for heart literally would mean the kernel of the nut. The kernel of the nut. That is the word picture that would go with it. And so if you're reading through the book of Proverbs, you'll read the word heart more than 75 times because it captures the whole and everything comes from it. 
Proverbs 27 verse 19 says, As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. It's our heart that defines us. It's our heart that determines what we do and what we say and how we act. And, and sometimes we say something and we do something and we don't even know how it happens. We don't know where it came from. We're surprised at ourselves. Or maybe the person you said it to will look at you and they'll say, where in the world did that come from? We're not even sure. Solomon would say, I know where it came from. It came from your heart. And we can address all of the behaviors and we might make some temporary progress, but until we get to the heart, there won't be lasting change. Think of it this way. Imagine that you're walking for, for a hike and, and you come upon this creek in the woods that's just heavily polluted. And you decide, I've got to do something about this. You see the trash along the banks and floating down the river and there's this nasty film on the top of the water, and you just start to clean out the trash as quickly as you can. You spend a few hours out there, and then you step back. And, and where you're at in the creek, you can see that you've made a, a huge difference. It looks a lot better. And you determine right then and there, I'm going to start coming back here every day until I get all of this cleaned up. But you come back the next day and there is just as much trash now as there was the day before. And there is the day after that. Just as much trash. And you work hard. You work frantically. You're exhausted every night when you go home. But you, when you return the next day, it doesn't look like you've made any progress at all. Then you decide that you're going to walk upstream. And so you hike upstream a couple of miles and you find the dump. It turns out that this creek runs right through the dump. Now you can spend a lot of time down, the, down in the creek pulling out the trash. You can exhaust yourself and spend all kinds of energy getting that part of the creek clean. But you know and I know that until you address the source of the problem, you're really not going to do any good at all. You just aren't. You might make a little bit of progress for a day, but until you address where it's flowing from, you're just going to continue to be in the same situation. It's just going to be this cycle repeated again and again. And so Solomon says, this is what the heart is for us. This is what the heart is for us. That sometimes this trash starts to show up in our life and we don't know where it came from. I mean, it feels like we're working really, really hard. I mean, making an honest effort at getting rid of this stuff. And then we wake up the next day and we do it all over again. I mean, why can't we get ahead? Well, Solomon says it's because it's flowing from your heart. And because of that, he says, above all else. Do you see that there in Proverbs, 40, uh, Proverbs chapter 4? Above all else, guard your heart. In other words, you make this... You make this your greatest priority. You treat your heart like it's your most valuable asset. The American Heart Association says that more than 121 million Americans have some kind of heart disease, some kind of cardiovascular disease. That's about one in three Americans. If you haven't experienced this, then you've probably known someone who's had a, who's had a stroke or they've had a heart attack. Uh, they've had some heart problems. 
And, and you know that once that happens, it changes how they live, right? I remember when a good friend of mine in Kansas City had a heart attack, how it just, you know, it just totally changed his lifestyle. Suddenly he became very, very careful about his diet. He started to eat right. He became much more physically active, and he started taking expensive medication. He went to all kinds of time and all kinds of trouble and effort. It really became the main focus. It was his heart. Now, why give so much focus and attention and effort to the heart? Well, it's because life, life flows from the heart. Our heart pumps about 100,000 times a day. It pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood through our body every day. And so we understand that the heart is where everything else comes from, and we give that appropriate attention. Our tendency is to focus on the outside. Our tendency is to put the focus on our behavior. But Solomon says it's coming from the inside. Now, I want us to think together about how we develop this behavior modification mentality. You know, I think for many of us, we just grew up in homes uh, and we grew up in churches where all of the focus was on behavior modification. Do you think that's true? I mean, that was, that was rewarded. And, and, and what was punished was behavior. And so we kind of learned early on that if we're going to be rewarded uh, or if we're going to be punished, you know, it all comes down to our behavior. And if I'm, if I'm disrespectful to my sister, then I'm going to be sent to time out. Uh, now, I might be disrespectful, you know, in my heart, but I, I better not say it out loud because I'll be in time out. If I'm disrespectful to my parents, I'm going to get my, my mouth washed out with soap. So I can think it in my heart all day long, but I, but I better filter my behavior. I better make sure that it doesn't come out of my mouth. I have to make sure that it stays in my heart because it's going to be punished if it comes out. And if I don't do my chores, I'm not going to get my allowance. And so we grow up in this system that's all about behavior modification. Now, obviously, behavior matters because it shows what is in the heart. And so it needs to be addressed. It needs to be rewarded. And it needs to be punished. But what has happened in, in many homes and in many churches, the focus really isn't on the heart at all. It's all about the behavior. It's all about what people see and how you act while you're out. It's all about the outside. Then here's what happens, right? A person grows up in a system like that, in a home or, or in a church where it's all about the rules and the thou shouts and the thou shalt nots. And then they go away to college and suddenly mom and dad aren't around anymore. The church they grew up in isn't really a part of their life anymore. In other words, all of the motivators to monitor their behavior really aren't much of a factor anymore. And what do we see? What have most of us experienced? That what is in the heart begins to surface. Because without the rewards or without the punishment, suddenly it just starts to come out. We don't need to monitor our behavior. And we start to see what was in the heart. That's why the Bible would put such emphasis in, in, in our... Uh, that's why the Bible would put such an emphasis in our homes on the heart. 
even in the Old Testament. Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. You've, you've heard these words. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your what? Upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The focus is on the heart. In other words, look, don't just treat this as a list of rules. Don't just make your kids do these. This isn't just a law that you're getting, but rather this is to be impressed upon them. It's to be written upon their hearts. And so talk about them throughout the day. Make this a part of your life. The focus is on the heart. I don't know how many times I've had as a pastor, someone come up to me and they've told me a story of something they've done, a mistake that they've made, and while they're telling me the story, I'll think to myself, how did that happen? You know, I just wonder, how did that happen? But they'll say to me, I don't even have to ask them, they'll say to me, I don't know how this happened. And they don't. They don't know how it happened. But something happens in their life and they have a forced realization that the water is beginning to overflow the tub and they have to do something. But they don't really know how it got to be like this. And so a husband strikes his wife. He never imagined that he could ever do something like that. In fact, he promised himself, as he saw his dad treat his mom that way, he promised himself that it would never happen to him. Or a couple in high school breaks a promise to remain pure. A man has an affair with his best friend's wife. How did it happen? They don't really know. A mom yells and cusses at her child and she remembers as a little girl promising herself, I'm never going to do that. I'll never talk to my kids the way my mom talked to me. And they wonder, well, how did that happen? Well, what was planted in the heart? Sometimes through no fault of their own, what was planted in the heart eventually comes to the surface. And they're surprised by it, as surprised as anybody else. They don't really know how it happens. But it's just been a long time coming because their heart, their heart wasn't guarded. A number of years ago, one of our neighbors where we lived at the time had a, a large tree that, that during this big storm fell and it landed on their house. And it did quite a bit of damage. Now, nobody was hurt, thankfully, but a few days after the tree fell, they had a crew out there to kind of clean things up. And I went back to just kind of see what was happening, and there was this guy who was cutting the tree into more manageable pieces. And so I said to the guy as he was cutting down the tree, I said, you know, I said, tell me, tell me what happened. Was it this huge storm that blew this tree down? What actually happened? And the man said, no. No, it probably really wasn't the storm that much. You might think it was the storm, but actually it really wasn't the storm. He said what happened was, and he showed me where the tree had been decaying for years from the inside out. For years, really, the tree had already been falling. And sometimes we see this moment in our life where everything starts to overflow or we see it in someone else's life, perhaps a public figure or a celebrity of some kind, and we're like, well, how did that happen? 
And we're tempted to think, well, this is, this, this is one big storm and the tree fell over and, and man, that is some storm. But in reality, more often than not, it was something that was in the heart. And after enough time, what was in the heart came to the surface. This is why Jesus puts such a strong focus on the heart. If you read through the Gospels, he, in some ways, is shockingly unconcerned with a lot of the behavior that he sees. Instead, Jesus over and over again goes straight to the heart. We see this with the religious leaders. The religious leaders had, be, had behavior modification down to an art. I mean, they were experts in behavior, right? But what does Jesus say in Matthew 15? He says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he has no patience for that. And later on in that chapter, he explains why the heart is so important when he says, do you not yet understand whatever enters the, the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? The food that you eat comes into your mouth and it goes into your stomach and it's eliminated. But then he says, but those things that come out of the mouth, that which we hear come out of the mouth, that's what, that's what, that, 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 that what you see in people's lives comes from the heart. And they defile a man, Jesus says. He says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And so we see these things, an evil thought, murder, adultery, fornication, lies. And we think, where did that come from? Well, Jesus says, well, here is where it came from. It came out of the heart. Everything, he would say, flows out of the heart. And so above all else, guard. This is another word to look at here, the word guard. Really, the best translation of that word, or the most literal translation anyhow, would be to guard diligently against the enemy. Because this word guard is used whenever there's an enemy. Uh, that, that's the inference, that there is a hostile opposition. There is a hostile attack just waiting. And so we oftentimes think of guarding our hearts in terms of, uh, you know, uh, when the attack comes. But if you wait for the attack to come, then it's too late. Instead, we want to be proactive. We want to be intentionally, we want to intentionally set up defenses and guards because it's not a question of if, it is going to come. I was reading this week that one of the most guarded areas in the world is Fort Knox, where a significant amount of the nation's gold supply is held, right? It's a two-story structure, and I was reading about this surprisingly public information, if you Google it, but I was reading it, there, there's this, there's 16,500 cubic feet of granite used. There's over 1,400 tons of steel, 4,000 plus cubic yards of concrete. The vault door itself weighs 20 tons. No one person has the combination to the vault. Various staff members must dial in separate combinations known only to them. There are four guard boxes surrounding the structure. It's equipped with the latest in security technology. Every conceivable precaution is taken. Now, why is that? 
Well, it's easy. It's because what is inside is just that valuable. What's inside is valuable, so they take every precaution they can. And no one looks, as, looks at it as, and thinks, well, that's going a little overboard, don't you think? That's an awful lot of trouble to go to in just in case, right? But no, it's understood that what's inside is valuable enough to justify those extreme measures. And I think as you read through the book of Proverbs, it would be easy enough to read through it and just to think, man, Solomon is pretty hardcore. I mean, just all of this counsel about watching out for this and listening for that. And why does he, you know, why does he go to such extremes? Well, it's because what is inside is that valuable. I mean, even in this chapter, we, we get a hint into what he has in mind when he says, guard your heart. And we'll see it as we read through the book together. But in verse 20, Solomon talks about our ears. And here's what he says. He says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll read again and again where Solomon says, listen, 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 listen. He says it over and over. Why? Because your ears are a pathway to your heart. And what you hear for good or what you hear for bad comes into your heart and eventually flows into your life. Now there's a tendency to think, I don't need to worry that much about what I hear. Uh, it's not really doing anything. And the music I listen to on the radio, uh, the comedian that I listen to, the gossip that I listen to, the joking that I hear around the office, I'm not the one saying it. I'm not the one singing it. I'm not the one telling jokes. I'm not the one gossiping. It's just, I'm just listening. And there's a tendency to think, I haven't really done anything. But the Bible would say that something is being done to us because our ears are the gateway to our hearts. And then in verse 25, he speaks of the eyes and he says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Why? Well, because what we see has a direct line into our heart, even more so than our ears. You know, we remember about 11% of what we hear. Uh, we, re we remember around, or, or can recall, given the right triggers anyhow, about 80% of what we see. It is a gateway to our hearts. And so we protect our ears and we protect our eyes. And again, there is this tendency when it comes to our eyes to think, well, you know what, I can watch this. I can look at this website. I can read this book. I've not really done anything. But the Bible would say that when we open that vault to our hearts, when we let that in, that eventually is what our heart, flow, that's what flows out of our heart in our lives. In one way or another, that trash makes its way downstream. That is where it's coming from. There is a cumulative effect to it as well which I think makes it harder to spot. That is to say, we just do this a little bit at a time. And it doesn't seem like a big deal at the time, but it all adds up. 
It's like you go to the doctor and you've gained 20 pounds since your last visit and the doctor says, well, you've gained 20 pounds since you were here last. How did that happen? Now, the doctor's not expecting like a detailed date and time list, right? He's not expecting you to say, well, everything was fine until yesterday and then I went to Danny's Sports Spot Buffet. 20 pounds. Can you believe that? No, he, he, he knows it didn't happen all at once, but something happened and it might be hard to spot. It might be hard for you to even identify. You may not even be sure what happened, but something has happened in the last year. You gained 20 pounds. You changed something about what? About your diet. Your intake of something changed. And you might not notice it because it happened slowly, but that, it's, but that is building up. Advertisers know this. That's why they show us the same commercials over and over and over again. Because they know there is this cumulative effect. And if they can just keep planting that seed in our hearts, they know that eventually it will take root. I mean, this explains why people buy those Snuggies things that people wear, you know. Uh, I mean, when that commercial comes on the first time, you think it's a blanket with sleeves. I don't need one of those and you change the channel and you keep going. But after you see it enough times, you find yourself thinking, you know what, I really could use a Snuggie. Well, that's the cumulative effect of exposure. There is even this law in psychology called the law of exposure that says our minds absorb and our lives reflect what we are exposed to the most. And so what we allow into our ears and what we allow in through our eyes makes its way into our hearts. The Journal of American, uh, the Journal of American Academy of Pediatrics uh, cited the, the independent research recently that said that youth who view a significant amount of television with sexual content are twice as likely to be sexually active than those who watch little of that kind of programming. In other words, this is the strongest evidence yet, they say, that the sexual content of television programs encourages adolescents to initiate sexual behaviors and activities. Uh, Rebecca Collins, the psychologist who headed up the study, said in the, in the release that I read, the impact of television viewing is so large that even a moderate shift in the sexual content of adolescent TV viewing uh, could have a substantial effect on their sexual behavior. Now there is a tendency for us to sometimes see parents or sometimes see families that are really strict about such things and to think, well, you know what? They're pretty legalistic. My goodness, being awfully protective. But doesn't it make sense? If our hearts are that valuable, then doesn't it make sense, just as at Fort Knox, to go to great lengths, to great extremes, to make sure that what is inside us is guarded? There are a few other things I just want to touch on uh, to help us guard our hearts. I would talk to you about accountability. That you need someone in your life that you are accountable to. A committed Christian of the same sex that knows what's going on in your heart. Not just behavioral questions, but they have an opportunity to see what is in your heart. And I have friends in my life, and, and they can tell. I mean, I pray with them, and when we pray together after the prayer time, they might say to me, everything okay? You don't seem quite yourself, right? Because they're allowed to see into my heart. 
And so we need some of that. And I think prayer, I would also say prayer. Have you noticed how difficult it is? How difficult it is to pray when your heart is unguarded? When that vault door is open and you're just allowing whatever to come into your ears and into your eyes, it is difficult to pray. The opposite is also true. That when you're praying, it's much more difficult for those things to get in. And so I would challenge you to pray. And I would also challenge you to continue to practice scripture medica med medication. Well, that's good, but scripture meditation. Uh, we've asked you, as we've gone throughout this book of Proverbs, to read the corresponding proverb for whatever day of the, of the month it is. And so May 16th, you read Proverbs 16. And as you meditate on God's word, it begins to guard your heart. And then lastly, I would challenge you to practice holy thinking. The Bible says in Philippians 4, uh, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now the challenge for us is that we are constantly Googling or surfing the net or watching 24-hour news programs, or flipping through the channels, and we're just inundated with stuff that does not qualify as noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, or excellent. We need to be intentional to guard ourselves from too much of that stuff, but to also give our mind and our thoughts to things that would qualify as praiseworthy and excellent, as admirable. And so, I, listen, I know the tendency is, is to put the attention on behavior modification. We've got, we, we've got changes that need to be made. Uh, the water seems to be rising. Tell me what I need to do. And I slip into this in my preaching sometimes. I'll look at my sermon and I'll think, okay, so I've given them an action plan. Here are the three things you need to do. And if you just do these three things, no, it doesn't work that way. We can't save ourselves. It's kind of the point. The Old Testament in some ways, all it is is behavior modification. Just laws, one law after another. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You just go through lots of behavior modification and the law didn't work. All it did was to show us that we had a heart problem and that heart problem needed to be addressed. I watched a video on the internet recently of a cardiologist talking about an arteriogram. That's a test that's done to find out where there is a blockage. And so they'll inject a dye and they'll take an x-ray and the x-ray will show where the blockage is. And they'll put a stent through a patient's leg or groin and they'll, they'll go up and they'll open up that blockage. But he said what is challenging is that oftentimes this, this test, uh, the arteriogram, isn't done because the symptoms don't seem to be cardiovascular in nature. The patient will come in and have back pain or they can't sleep very well or they have high anxiety, all kinds of things that don't seem to be heart related. And so the patient will treat the, the, the symptoms. Uh, the patient will want to medicate the symptoms. But in reality, the problem is a heart issue. Don't walk away today continuing to medicate 
the symptoms. Let's get to the heart of it. Understand that we have a heart problem and the only cure, I mean the only cure is a heart transplant. This is the only thing that will work and that is what God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite prophecies that foreshadows what Jesus would do comes in Ezekiel chapter 36 where God promises beginning in verse 26 that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Folks, that's the invitation. That's the challenge. Listen, don't walk away from this message today with the same heart that you walked in with. Allow God to give you a new heart through Jesus Christ. Allow His Spirit to fill you, to guard your hearts, and what is in the heart will overflow into our lives.